morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. If you guys will come on in and stand up to worship the Lord with us. Come now, fount of every blessing. Good morning, fellowship. Hey, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anger and with control in my mouth. My name's Michael. Hey, welcome to the third and last Sunday of our CR series. We're so glad y'all are here. There is so much going on at Fellowship Fayetteville right now. The Lord's at work in so many places. And so I've invited a couple of friends to come and, and share some things that are going on around here. This is Josh Barnard. He's the team leader for our college team. And Josh, your team has been hard at work preparing for the college students to come back. That's right. And so if you're in college, welcome back. We've missed you a ton. I know some people will start complaining about the traffic. I'm actually very happy that you're here. My job is, is really boring without you. And so two quick announcements for y'all. One, our Sunday night service starts back tonight at 7 p.m. We'll be right here in this room. This is, a, this is a great chance to invite friends. This is a great chance to invite fraternity brothers, sorority sisters, roommates, classmates, you name it. Everyone's welcome here in this room, 7 p.m. It's gonna be awesome. And maybe even more importantly, we love Sunday nights, but the, the true heartbeat of our ministry is and has always been small groups. And so if you're kind of looking for community, maybe you wanna get plugged in, maybe you wanna grow a little bit deeper in college, be surrounded by people that are like-minded and learn from people that are maybe a step ahead of y'all, 
sign up for a small group. We have, we have a ton of different small groups meeting all over the city this semester, and it's a really great opportunity. Uh, kind of a shameless plug for my own small group. If you are a, a senior or, or if you're graduating, let's say, in the next 12 months, May or December of this year, my wife and I are actually leading a, a senior small group. It's, it's how to thrive as an adult. And we'll, we'll tackle everything from the spiritual, how to create good rhythms and practices and disciplines. What do I do if I start deconstructing and asking hard questions all the way to the hyper-practical? What's a 401k? Should I get a credit card? What, it, what does all those things look like? And everywhere in between. And so if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, or you know people that are, that are graduating, tell them to sign up, join our small group. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, Josh. Excited to have those college students back. And then a lot of y'all know Ted Shimmer. Ted's a longtime member at Fellowship. Uh, his friend lives here in Fayetteville. He's a community group leader, so he's one of my favorite people. Uh, but you might not realize that Ted is also a nationally recognized expert in the area of pornography and how it affects people's lives. In fact, Ted, uh, you testified before a congressional committee last fall on this issue, and now you're part of an equipping opportunity for men that's starting up this week. I'd love for you to share a little about that. You know, when I went into the ministry over 30 years ago, I promise you I had no aspirations to become the porn guy. And if my wife were up here, she would tell you she had no aspirations to be married to the porn guy. But it was really birthed out of necessity because the technology shift that happened in 2006 of going from dial-up internet to high speed and that being delivered to the iPhone in 07 unleashed an unprecedented amount of X-rated material on the adolescent brain, which is more susceptible to addictive substances. And so we just recognized those of us who were working with college students, we had a front row seat to see the destructive impact and levels of addiction. And so that's when I started my deep dive into this topic, learning all I could, getting formally trained in it. And so our training, because we recognize if our discipleship doesn't hit this issue with real solutions that lead to freedom, then we have a huge hole in our discipleship. And so our training on Wednesday morning, we're going to look at the brutal impact of pornography on a person's brain, on their relationships, their walk with God, their marriage or future marriage. But we're also going to look at the Apostle Paul's pathway to freedom that he lays out in the book of Ephesians as he's talking to this group of believers living in a very hypersexualized culture. And I just want to encourage all the men who are available Wednesday morning to be here because this is such a widespread issue. We need more men who are equipped to help others walk in freedom, especially if we want to disciple this next generation. Well, thanks, Ted. Thanks for your work in that area and for, for being part of this here at Fellowship Fable. So guys, it's a great opportunity for all of us to get equipped. I'm going to be there on Wednesday, and I hope I'll see you there too. If you've got questions about any of this stuff, you can join us at the community booth after the service. We'd love to visit with you. Ryan, you've got some other things you want to share. I do, yeah. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, I struggle with lust, control, and people-pleasing. My name is Ryan. Hey, church. Hey, if you would, if you see any seats to your left, if you could scoot over to the left, it's going to help our ushers a ton. You guys don't realize how much that helps them as we still have a ton of people coming in the back. If you could scoot to your left, that'd be great. Hey, two quick announcements. One, tomorrow night we're having another Spectra Creative Collective. So if you've never heard of Spectra, that's our creative ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And tomorrow night specifically, we're going to hear from a lot of different artists um, and, and hear how God's been moving in their lives recently. Um, they're gonna share some of the artwork that they've created specifically for this upcoming David series that we're starting next week. Uh, but this is open to any and all of you. We want you to come. There's gonna be light snacks there. It's a really beautiful night of worship. So if you love um, the creative arts, this is for you. Come to this tomorrow night. It's at 6.30 p.m. in the FSM room right across the hall there. Hope to see you there. Uh, also this week, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so uh, what's happening is all across the country, churches are pausing. And we're reminding ourselves um, that there's a lot of work 
that's going on in this realm. And we're, um, we're trying to highlight different organizations that we support that, that agree with us on this, that life begins at conception and that it's valuable because the Bible says so, amen? And so one of the organizations that we partner with here is Loving Choices. And so they've got a QR code there. If you want to scan that, you can get more information on what they do here locally. Um, you can partner with them through finances or through giving your time. It's a, it's a great uh, organization that, that affirms um, that same thing, that we have value from conception to now us sitting in this room because Christ said that we do. And he, and he loves us so much that he came and died for all of us. So scan that QR code. We're gonna do a um, bottle drive um, later in the spring uh, to help support them. But I'm gonna pray for them and uh, then we'll continue to worship this morning. Well, Father, we are thankful uh, that you love us. You show us that so clearly in sending your son for us. And so, Father, may our hearts hurt um, for everyone around us that is suffering, whether it be um, child, adult, it doesn't matter in your eyes, God, that we're all of equal value because you sent Christ to die for us. And so Father, um, would you just allow us to um, have opportunity to love one another, God, to feel the mercies for one another that you feel for us, that you've displayed so clearly at the cross. And so Father, specifically for loving choices, um, God, would you, Give them what they need to carry on your good work, God, and, and establishing um, the narrative that, that life is valuable, God. God, we love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Church, if you would, let's stand together. Let's worship this morning. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more.
give him praise this morning, church. His mercies are new for us every morning. I need those mercies. Amen. Well, hey, every week we, uh, we do this thing called a confession and assurance of pardon. But the last two weeks, uh, we've been changing that up and we've been reciting these eight principles um, on the road to recovery for us. And so we're going to do that again this week before we get back to our normal rhythm. But this is a rhythm that happens in Celebrate Recovery every Friday night. And so we're going to uh, engage in this together. And so the way it works is I'm going to read the principle. And then together as a church body, we're going to read uh, the scripture that it is derived from. So principle one, realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. Matthew 5, 3. Principle two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him and that he has the power to help me recover. Happy are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. Principle two, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek, Matthew 5, 5. Principle four, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. Principle five, Voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Matthew 5, 6. Principle 6. Evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible. Accept when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. Principle 7. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Principle 8. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5.10. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. Check out this video. It started with something that I didn't understand, and then it led into um, just using this to, to cope with anything that was going on, any hurt. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery over a sexual addiction, and I still struggle with lust, control issues, and codependency, and my name is Julia. Whenever I was six years old, I was introduced to self-gratification from uh, just a friend that was my age. It took a long time for me to realize that that wasn't normal, and that that was considered abuse. And here I was, six years old, now having to deal with this sexual addiction that a lot of adults can't even overcome. As I look back, there are kind of two really defining things that I think were happening to me as a kid um, that I didn't realize at the time. And again, I didn't, I didn't realize that these things weren't normal. This was just my life. But I think that I was exposed to um, this whole world of um, this whole sexual world that I wasn't supposed to be exposed to. Also, having at the same time experiencing some emotional neglect by some of my family. My parents did a great job raising me, but they were always busy, always doing things, always had something going on. And like, I don't remember my mom sitting down and just playing with me. I can see that there was a pattern of I had to I had to be good enough for someone to take time for me. And so I was constantly trying to figure out what can I do to achieve some sort of worth. And so I can see patterns throughout middle school and high school and college of finding something that I was getting value from other people in. And I would just dive completely headfirst into that. And that became my identity. And if anybody gave me affirmation or attention or anything, I would do everything I could to keep that. 
When I jumped into Celebrate Recovery, I had this sexual addiction that I was not free from, uh, but would have bouts of sobriety, um, but was never fully healed from it. Um, and I genuinely thought that the Christian battle was trying as best as I could for as long as I could, just knowing I would fall back into it at some point. It's been seven years that I've been in recovery, um, and it still continues to surprise me what things the Lord still keeps bringing up to me, um, and the different ways that I have seen him just redeem my story even further. It took getting into Celebrate Recovery and getting into a step study to actually achieve that sobriety. Even though I was a Christian and the Lord was with me and he was um, working in my life in amazing ways and I was doing a lot for the kingdom and was very involved in church and, and all of that, um, I needed that little bit of extra accountability and a little bit of extra kind of digging into the roots of what was really going on in my life to be able to uproot those things and gain sobriety for the first time. My sexual addiction started because someone introduced something to me and I didn't think that it was that big of a deal and I didn't realize how much healing there was for just telling someone about it and looking into someone else's eyes and seeing the pain that I should be feeling, but I'm numb to, is so healing. And it connected me to my emotions that I had numbed. One of the coolest things that the Lord is doing in my heart right now is just seeing truly how young and innocent I was when all of this started for me. It's helped me have grace for myself as a kid because I was just always so hard on myself and constantly shaming myself and just saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. The Lord has really redeemed that part of my story and I can look into my daughter's eyes and just see that she is enough. Celebrate Recovery has given me the ability to understand my emotions in the moment rather than just shaming and then running to something that's gonna make me feel better and then hiding that and then having more shame and then running to and starting this cycle, I can pause and give myself grace and view myself the way God does. It doesn't matter what anyone's struggling with, there's freedom. I think that we're taught as Christians, once we become Christian, everything from our past just disappears but those pains still come up and the Lord wants freedom for us. Um, and there is that freedom and it is a big deal. You're worth it. I love life change stories. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle well with drugs and alcohol and perfectionism. My name is Rodney. Hey family, I'm a part of a staff here, one of the pastors here with Celebrate Recovery. And I'm so glad to be here with you as Michael mentioned uh, we're wrapping up a three-week series of, of Celebrate Recovery entitled Life's Healing Choices. And I love that testimony by Julia. It takes so much courage to share those parts of our story, but it, it's a great picture to help us understand the value, the healing that can happen when we face those scary parts of our story that might have us stuck, that are keeping us from moving forward. And I'm grateful for the process of Celebrate Recovery that allows us some space to do that. Uh, this morning, if I were to give you a thought, I think for our time, it would be this, that, that wounds that are not transformed are always transmitted. And, and that's the case with my own story. I, I grew up in a, a broken home, had multiple stepfathers who were physically, verbally, and emotionally abusive. And it stemmed from my mother's own brokenness and her running from her pain that was transmitted down to me and my brothers. And as a result, I, I carried a lot of resentment and bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, and I felt justified in that because it was an injustice, and, and I was holding on to this, and ultimately, I transmitted it onto my community, starting with my own family. I needed space to heal from those wounds, to allow Jesus to transform those so I wouldn't eventually transmit those onto other people. This morning, we're going to focus on the others that are impacted by our choices as hurt people hurt people, but also the others that have hurt us 
maybe coming into this process? How do we repair from the, the others in our life when we, as broken people, bump into the other broken people and experience the betrayal and the hurt? This morning, I want to introduce you to one of our principles in Celebrate Recovery, principle six. Let me read this to you, but I want you to have this thought in mind, that remembering is the path to forgiveness. Hold on to that, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But principle six reads this way, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. And then Jesus uses an important word. He says, blessed. In spite, the meaning is in spite of the circumstances happening in your life, happy or blessed, he says, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And let me throw another one at you in Mark eleven twenty five. There's lots of scriptures that would highlight this, but Mark eleven twenty five reads, and whenever you stand up to pray, if you have something against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, it's easy, and I bought into this narrative for far too long, that, that we can look at God as kind of a petty God. If, you want, if you're not going to show mercy, I'm not going to give you mercy. If you're not going to be a peacemaker, you're not going to be called one of my kids. If you're not going to forgive, then I'm not going to forgive you. And that's really not what's happening here. I think that Jesus, through the gospel, is helping us understand that if God's love in his mercy and grace is lavished on me undeservedly, if I want to walk in the fullness of that life and walk as one of those people that is experiencing his mercy and grace and peace and forgiveness, I have to bring my pain to him so that he, through his transformational power, can help me to learn how to lavish it onto other people, even if reconciliation is not a part of it. I'll talk more about that in just a second. But I want to debunk a myth that you may have bought into. I know I did for a while. It's is that forgiveness is not equal to forgetting. I don't think forgetting is, is really a realistic thing for us to do. In fact, I think the enemy, which scriptures tell us, he is an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He's all about deception and darkness and hiding. And if, if I can hide it, and, and this is something we do with forgiveness, just forgive them and move on and forget it. There's a good motive for that because who wants to hang out and feel the pain of the offenses caused to us, Right. But I think that's actually a cruel thing and actually feeds into the enemy's narrative of just hide it, act like it's not there, cover it up, and be in a place of darkness. That's, that's the enemy's mantra. That's his job description. But the myth is forgiving is acting like nothing happened. And I don't know if that's a realistic thing to do. I want to take you all, all the way back to an Old Testament passage because I think it really articulates what we're talking about here today. We don't have enough time to get all to what's happening in this passage, but God is speaking through one of his prophets, Jeremiah, and he says this. God speaks through Jeremiah, and he says these words, prophets and priests, in this time the church leadership alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. See, Jeremiah from God is saying something important here. He's saying that, that the leaders of this time are dressing their wounds of God's children as if they're not serious. And sometimes we do that in our own life. We dress the wounds and we act like we've forgotten it and there is no peace in that space. They are serious and they need to be acknowledged. Many people fall into this trap in believing that forgiveness means that I have to forget the offense, the harm, the betrayal that's been done toward me. We say, well, doesn't the scripture say in Jeremiah 31, God says, I will remember their sins no more. This is a very poetic language, and it's not saying that he doesn't remember our sins. What he's saying is he doesn't lose consciousness of our sin. He's just saying, and for us, the gospel message makes this much more real, I'm not going to hold those things against you, the things you've done to other people and even the things done toward us. That's such a difficult and scary thing to do, but so important in this process. Confession 
of the hurt. And sometimes we look at the confession side of just the things that we've done and and make no mistake about it. When we look at the cross, I see the things, the atrocious things I did, and you should do the same thing. That's what Jesus died for. But don't miss the other side of that. Jesus died as much for the things you did as he did for the things done to you. That's what's nailed to the cross. So confession, by its very root definition, means to say the same thing. God knows what is true. He wants us to acknowledge the things we've done, acknowledge what is true that has been done to me, admit it, acknowledge it, and then take action to move forward. The hurt and the sin, things done to me, has hurt people, hurt people, the sin I've done to other people in my life. Now, the enemy wants to keep things in darkness and hiding, deception, deceit. Jesus has a different narrative. He's about bringing things into the light, speaking truth, honesty. John 3.21 reminds us, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Remembering is saying what is true. Remembering is saying, I admit, I acknowledge this hurt as very atrocious, as one of your God's children, as very, very serious, and I'm not going to act like it didn't happen. I've got to bring it into the light so that Jesus can do what he does. Dan Allender, an author of Leading with a Limp, makes an observation about two words, awful and awesome. And and the distinction is understanding that both of those carry the word awe. When we look at the cross and we see the things done to us and the things that we've done to others, it should move us to awe. That's awful. But if I don't acknowledge it and bring it into the light, I can't fully grieve that. And so this is awful. But don't forget the other side of the cross and the gospel message. Because we acknowledge the awful, we can acknowledge the awesome. God, thank you for lifting this from me, the things that I've done to others. And yes, even the things that have done to me so that I can move forward and live out my purpose in my life. Celebrate Recovery creates a process that sometimes takes time depending on the offense. It makes sense why my behaviors of of all the bad behaviors I did, it doesn't justify it, but it makes sense if you understand my story of growing up in a broken home, physical, verbal, emotional abuse. It was transmitted from a broken mom that didn't face her hurt, but it doesn't excuse it, but I, I have to take responsibility for that. And and let me just say this while we're on that, that that the the wonderful things that are happening in community here at Fellowship, Celebrate Recovery is not a replacement for that, but a beautiful compliment. It's a form of community to have a safe space to talk about those things that have us stuck, that are leading to these ugly sins that we're hurting the rest of the world and God with. It's a compliment. And I love that we're a church that says, hey, if you raise your hand and say, I need extra help, this thing's got me stuck, these behaviors or these compulsive thoughts, that we can say, hey, we're going to lock arms with you and we're with you in this journey. Praise God that you admit the truth and put it out here. And Jesus can bring the healing if we're to believe that this truly is a hospital for the sick and not a hotel for the healthy. We can have this form of community through Celebrate Recovery to face that. No, it's about acknowledging. It's about remembering, not hiding and forgetting. And it's not to get stuck there, but it's to heal from it so God can release that from us. I love what Tony Evans says. He says, forgiveness is not pretending like it didn't happen or didn't hurt. That's lying. Forgiveness is the decision to release a debt regardless of how you feel. Addressing the wound of God's children as one of his children as very serious so that we can heal that and change our choices moving forward because we've healed the bitterness and the resentment. It makes makes total sense to me if we bought into this narrative of forgive and forget when we try to forgive and just forget it and move on and we still have this stuff, we haven't forgotten it, that we would walk in this place of shame. Well, I guess I'm one of those believers that just doesn't have enough faith. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe, Maybe I'm one of those that is pretty, pretty messed up. Maybe we're not supposed to forget it. Maybe we're supposed to remember it so that we can heal and bring it into the light so Jesus can create something new inside of us. See, the the distinction for me in the same way is understanding that forgiveness is not the same as healing. 
Forgiveness is an act of obedience. And so as one of his children is saying, Lord, I'm going to be obedient and I choose to do this because you've asked me to do it, but I'm not going to minimize the pain. I'm going to actually take things back that I have, I should have ownership of. For far too long, my prayer was, Lord, heal my, my heart and my mind. And it's almost as if he was saying, Rodney, you don't own your mind and your heart because your stepfathers still own that. When we choose to forgive, we take ownership back of those things that we are to have possession of. And then we give our offender to God, and then we begin the healing process that only Jesus can heal in this space. For me, the forgiveness was a big part of releasing me from the anger. It became this this almost new addiction inside of me. It felt good to have rage and anger and bitterness toward my offenders. But here's the thing. It wasn't hurting them at all. They had no clue. But I was the one that was suffering. And even more, the people closest to me in my community and my family were suffering as a result. I had to release that to Jesus to make a choice and then trust the process. You say, well, how long does it take to talk about that? As long as it takes. And it will be worth it. And sometimes, depending on the offense, it can take longer to organize the pain, to put it out in front of us, to process that. Otherwise, my new addiction becomes bitterness and malice and slander. Listen to Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of slander and malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, Sometimes in my need to be in control, when I see be kind and compassionate, I can buy into the narrative of I'm just going to muster up enough strength to be really kind and compassionate to people. Could it be that it doesn't come from us? It comes to us. The gospel message is Jesus' mercy and his grace and his love and his peace and forgiveness lavished on me so I can learn how to lavish it on other people through his transformational power. Comes to me, works in me, heals me so that I can then extend it to the people around me to be kind and compassionate, giving him the glory for everything because I can't do that on my own power. I could not do that on my own power with my stepfathers. There's too much pain there but Jesus can. See, if I don't face this hurt, it will become a weapon. That resentment and anger will become a weapon just like it did in my life and my poor wife and the people close to me that I would even let inside my circle paid the price. But James 1.19.20 is very clear that we can't use anger as a weapon. Listen to James' word in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I can't use it as a weapon. Anger is a signal. And you know what? You should be angry. But we don't want to be a slave to the anger. And when we don't bring the pain and the anger to to the Father into the light, it does become a weapon. It just wedges down and it becomes this, this new festering, poisoning system inside my system. I don't want it to be a weapon. Listen to the signal. It's a rise against an injustice. You should be angry, but don't let it control you. What's underneath the anger? Let's process that. And the Celebrate Recovery process helps us to acknowledge who did it. What did they do? What was the damage and the effect? How did it affect my social, uh, sexual instincts in my life? How did it affect my security in my life? I need to organize that. And that can take time. But in the end, God will bring healing to us to help us to move forward and not stay stuck in anger and bitterness. But I want to say this because we bought into this narrative. Don't confuse forgiveness with letting your offender off the hook. Will they really learn their lesson? I don't want to let them off the hook. They did a really bad thing. And you're right, they did. God does not justify the betrayal, the adultery, the abuse, the the rejection, the abandonment, whatever that thing is. He didn't justify that. He's not saying it's okay. In fact, so much so that he calls them exactly what they are. And he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to pay the price 
Too often, I think he paid the price just for my own things, and he did, but he also paid the price for the things done to you. As one of his children, he sees it that serious that he wanted to die for you and I so that we could walk in healing and mercy, grace, peace, forgiveness. Romans 5.8 reminds us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The payment for the sin that you've done to others is death. The payment for the sin done to you is death. Jesus took that for us. The gift of forgiveness is so hard, but it's accepting the sacrifice as Jesus as sufficient. I choose to forgive, but Lord, I can't can't ignore this anymore. Why would I want to carry that debt? He paid the price. So what's the path to healing and forgiveness the letting go, not to dwell there. I don't want to get stuck here, but I have to acknowledge it so that God through the light can bring healing. Jesus is about the light. The enemy's about darkness. Hide it, cover it up, bring it into the light. And as long as it takes, he he will bring the healing in our life. So what do we do? We have to confess that harm specifically to say the same thing, to acknowledge what is true. If we believe that the scripture says in John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth has to be acknowledged, which means it's hard and it's scary, but I'm gonna bring it to you, Father, and being honest about the offense done to me will set me free. I'm gonna hold that in my heart and believe it until I feel it. That's a part of our faith in the forgiveness process. It's being specific and saying, I'm choosing to forgive. They did this, the abandonment, the rejection, the abuse, the affair, whatever it is, I'm choosing to forgive. But don't forget the next thing right behind that. Please don't minimize the pain any longer. Trying to forgive and forget is minimizing the pain. Jesus, I'm not gonna minimize this anymore. I choose to forgive, but Lord, I gotta get honest about how that damaged me and how it affected my thinking and my, how it makes me feel and, and the choices that I make as a result of that wrong kind of thinking and, and stuffing those emotions for far too long. I'm not gonna minimize that pain any longer. But this is a hard part of this healing process, and that is to remember, remember how I've hurt others. And it's so hard when we're thinking about the offenses done to us to hold the the space of how we've hurt other people. But if I can be reminded in my own healing journey that I've hurt other people and I needed grace in my own life from my past, it will actually help in the process as I lean in and spend the time to focus on the hurts, the damage and the effect. And then, oh, by the way, own my part. Thank you for your grace. I repent and I want to repair that with the closest people around me. But let me say this. Don't, don't confuse the, if you have somebody in your life that hasn't fully repented. The scriptures are very clear that if someone you're, you're gone to that you want to forgive has not repented, it says you're to rebuke them. But it doesn't change the fact that we still have a responsibility to own the forgiveness side. Though I may not reconcile with them, I still have to do the forgiveness work because it's not for them, it's for me. And here's the thing, if if you're in a situation where the offender has not repented, I just wanna give you permission. Reconciliation doesn't have to happen. In fact, if you've been in abuse, it would be totally wrong for you to go back to your abuser and say, you hurt me, because you're probably not gonna get anything that you need back in return. So forgiveness is possible without reconciliation. But I want to say this to those in the room that are in the middle of this and fighting through this, that we cannot have reconciliation without forgiveness. So we have to have an open posture. And if you're on the other side as the offender, please give that other person that you've hurt grace. Well, I've forgiven you. Get over it. That doesn't work that way. But if my posture is to forgive and allow the healing process and I dive into this process through Celebrate Recovery, whatever God brings to my attention to be able to lean in and honor that pain, it's going to take time. We don't just get over something like that. We'll never forget it, but God can bring healing in the process. Reconciliation is not always possible, but we need God's grace 
We can work on forgiveness, hold what we've done as we learn to forgive those that have harmed us. 1 John 2.2 reminds us he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. I have to take responsibility for my hurt as I take responsibility, even if it wasn't my fault, my stepfather's atrociously abused me. It's still my responsibility what I'm going to do with it. And my responsibility is to take it to the one and bring it into the light, the only one that can heal my broken heart. But the last point in that process of healing is remembering that forgiveness takes practice. It's not a one and done. I forgave you, let's move on. Can we just forget about this? But the healing process is remembering and acknowledging the hurt. It takes practice. When you and I became believers in Jesus Christ, we began the process of working out our salvation. Forgiveness is working out our forgiveness. If I told you you need to have good hygiene, you could do one of two things. You could spend four hours today scrubbing and bathing so that you never have to do it again. Please don't do that. That won't be good for our community. It's a process every day. As long as it takes, Lord, today I choose to forgive again. And I had to go through this, and it was a process. It was a pattern of acknowledging I'm choosing to forgive them, which I didn't think I would ever be able to forgive them, but then bring my woundedness to him. You know, in this process of me working through this, I, I really firmly believe this. If we are willing to face the atrocious wounds and betrayals and offenses done to us in the past, God builds a resilience in us to be able to face tomorrow's and today's forgiveness. Because we're still broken people <laughs> and we still bump into each other and we still hurt each other, don't we? So as I learn to, to lean in and bring that to the truth, to remember the past offenses, it builds a resilience. I think Jesus did that for me in my life. I'd, I've been able to, f- to forgive and, and heal the wounds of, of all the brokenness from these broken men that came into my family and even forgive my mom before she passed away. We made peace and it was such a sweet thing. I forgive you, mom. And she was able to forgive me and she went to be with Jesus. But through this process, through this resilience of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit started tapping me on the shoulder and he said, hey, Rodney, what about your grandma? What, what about my grandma? I, I never even met my grandmother. But I began to realize as I learned about my story that, that my mother transmitted pain onto me, but oh yeah, she had pain transmitted onto her from her mom. In fact, my grandmother was so dysfunctional that she invited a lot of broken, very bad men into the home with my mother. And as a young teenager, one of those men uh, atrociously abused my mother raped her and sexually molested her. My mother kept it a secret and she finally had the courage to come and say, mom, this man is doing this to me and my my grandmother could not handle it. In fact, she kicked her out of the house. My mother walked the streets of Las Vegas by herself. I don't even want to imagine the things that she was introduced to, atrocious things. The Holy Spirit started saying, Rodney, you've developed a resentment in your heart toward your grandmother I did. Oh, why did. If you had believed mom, how would that have changed the trajectory of my mom's life and, and ultimately transmitting it down to me and my brother's life? While my mother was homeless, my grandmother went up a, after work. They'd had a few drinks and were intoxicated and got up into a private airplane. And her boyfriend, a pilot, crashed into a side of a hill. And she died instantly. 36 years old. While my mother was homeless, they found her in a park unconscious. They discovered she was pregnant with my older brother who would be given up for adoption. I had to put my grandmother on this list. A woman I've never met. The woundedness. To remember the atrocious wounds is serious. As one of his children, this is serious, Lord. I'm not going to hide this anymore. What did she do? How did she impact my mom? How did that damage mom? How did that damage me? How did that affect me? It led to my poor choices in my life. So I was able to work through this, and then he revealed to me, we call this empty chair. How do you forgive someone that's not even here? Or how do you forgive somebody that you can't sit face to face with? 
He revealed to me the importance of going to her graveside. You don't have to do this, but I felt like I needed to do it. So I did some research. Nobody knew where she was buried. Did some research. I found it, found her plot number. I discovered that there were two people that were at her memorial graveside. It was the guy who dug the grave and a coworker, lonely woman. I took all this forgiveness work. I counted out the plot numbers. I found her plot number only to discover she didn't even have a headstone. I took all this work that Jesus did as I brought it into the light and I remembered this pain. I sat down in that grassy area and I had a conversation with Grandma. And I got all the pain out. Grandma, you should have listened to Mom. She deserved better. She was hurt so badly. Grandma, this is how it affected me because you didn't hold her in that space. I was able to process all the damage and the effect. And then what a gift to be able to say, but through the power of Jesus Christ, I release you, Grandma. I forgive you. I'm letting it go. See, this process, it's hard. Jesus wants us to fully experience his lavish love and grace on us, his peace, his forgiveness. And the only way we can do that fully is to remember, bring it into the light. Some of you sitting in the room are holding on some really hard things and forgive, forget can't forgive, forget, I don't know, and it's sitting in your heart, and you're stuck. When we see Jesus on the cross, he said some words that are so important. He says, it is finished. What did he mean by that? He meant everything I went through, the beatings and the whippings and being spat on, I earned the right to look you in the eye and say, let me bear this for you. Let me take it. It's going to take time. Be obedient, forgive, and then let's start the healing process. Friends, here's what he does. This is the power of the gospel. He lifts those things from us, and he makes a home inside us. Remembering is a path to forgiveness. Father, we love you. Thank you that we don't have to face these hard things by ourselves, grateful that we have you as our loving father who paid the ultimate price to call them what they are, the things we've done, the things been done to us. Father, heal our hearts in this space. Help us to take the steps to move forward and allow you to do what you died to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God and his his mercy for us this morning gives us an opportunity to run to him, to give him these things that we're trying to carry on our own and say, we can't do it anymore. We can't do it alone. We're, we're learning that um, and that he will take them from us because of his mercy and his grace for us. And so we've done this the last two weeks and this is something they do every single Friday night at Celebrate Recovery, but we're, we're doing a blue chip song. And what that means is over the next couple of songs that we're gonna play, there's an opportunity for you. If you, if you are, are feeling that tug from the Lord that he's, he's got something that he wants you to give to him, quit trying to carry this on your own, uh, but you can hand it over to him. And so to represent that, you can come up and you can take this blue chip. And the blue chip itself is, is not special, it's just a piece of plastic but in a lot of ways, it's, it's much more powerful than that. It's a, it's a symbol of what you're handing over to God. And so we're gonna have people at the front passing out these blue chips. And what we're gonna do as a church is that when, if somebody starts walking towards um, these, um, these, to grab a blue chip, we're gonna celebrate. And we're gonna cheer and we're gonna clap and we're gonna celebrate what God is doing. And so we've done this the last two weeks and man, it's been powerful. And so church, Let's celebrate um, how God is transforming us this morning. 
Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing.
salvation. We have everything that we need. God, thank you for the mercy and the grace that we see through the Son. May we rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
church together. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. Let's read this prayer for serenity together as a church body. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and the next. Amen. Church, for those of you that over the past three weeks have come forward and you've, you've taken one of these blue chips, our prayer is that God would sustain you in that. And one of the, the ways that he does that is he's given us community. And so really encourage you to find community to be rooted into, gospel-centered community. That can be at CR, at Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights. It can be in your community group. It can be uh, through a mentorship, but gospel-centered community. That's our encouragement. And one small housekeeping thing before we dismiss this morning, this parking lot. There's, God has blessed us tremendously with so many people coming in. Some, some of you may be hearing the gospel for the first time this morning. Others surrendering things for the first time. And so we want to be good stewards of what God's doing. Um, and, so, and also to ease the, the chaos that the parking lot can be. And so some of you may not have even known about this, but there is another exit on the west side um, out this way. And so we're going to use that as an exit only situation. So as you're leaving, if you want to do that, you should be able to get out a lot easier. If you're going to exit on the east side, if you're going to go to that uh, south exit, I encourage you to turn right out of there. Um, if you need to turn left, go to that north exit there on the east side. Uh, church, we have communion available through the doors on your left. The prayer room is open for people to pray with you through the doors on your right. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.